0: Come back to our story of Moses. We're looking at the life of Moses with practical lessons for our own walk with the Lord. Moses started a journey with God when he came to know the Lord and came to respond to him in his uh, way of calling for service and testimony. And you and I, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus, have a calling to service and testimony too. And so some great lessons here, I think, from the life of Moses. There are different ways when you come through this portion of Exodus to approach it, right? You you move in, you can look at God's dealing in this great, what I call the great battle between Jehovah and Pharaoh, right? And that, that's an interesting study, how Pharaoh, God first, he predicts he's, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, right? He predicts it, but he, he doesn't harden it, he just predicts it. And then Pharaoh begins to, thank you dear brother, he begins to harden his own heart and then he continues to harden his heart and then God says, okay, I'm going to help you harden your heart. And he hardens his heart by doing what? By giving more revelation. (laughs) Giving more information about God is what caused Pharaoh to harden his own heart. Now that's that's solemn to think about, isn't it? You know, we talk about this great thing between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility and that both are in the Bible, right? God doesn't reconcile them in his word, so why should we with our finite minds try to? And we certainly saw this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, those five verbs where Moses is responding to God, we see human responsibility in every one of those, right? That, That... God gives information, he calls, and he waits for a response. Then he gives more information, and he waits for a response. And that's the ebb and flow of a relationship with the living God. If you want to think ahead a little bit, I'll give you some uh idea of where we're going. If you want to read ahead for Wednesday night and next Sunday, Wednesday night, Lord Willing, we'll be looking at the parting of the Red Sea. So if you want to read Exodus 14 and 15, and then next uh Sunday morning, Lord Willing, uh, Exodus 33 and 34, the great pinnacle experience of Moses with God. And all along we're we're observing the progression so we saw this morning that uh, in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2, that there are two sentences in that verse. And so you, you would, if you look at a commentary, normally they'll say 11a is the first sentence, 11b the second sentence, okay? And so I would submit to you, can't say this dogmatically, but Hebrews eleven twenty four to 27, fits in between 11a and 11b. <laughs> That's where it fits in, in this story. In other words, Moses coming to the place of making a decision to live for God. <laughs> forsaking Egypt. Putting behind him the past. Even all the privileges of being in Pharaoh's palace. Putting that behind because of his love for the Lord and desire to serve him. Because we see here that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. That's the first sentence in verse 11. And then the second sentence, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And so that extends the story beyond his decision to serve the Lord. He's out there and he sees a Hebrew. And so now he's going to act on what he thinks his calling is, right? Thinks the Lord is calling him to help deliver his people. So he's going to do it with his bare hands. He's going to go out there and start delivering them one by one, I guess. He's going to take on the whole Egyptian army one by one. I don't know what he was thinking. But beloved, can you not relate to this? I sure can. When we're young in the faith, when we're young Christians, and if you're discipling someone younger, and by the way, you should be, right? Not just the elders, but all of us. Dr. Howard Hendricks used to say that all of us should have a Paul that is mentoring us, and we should have a Timothy that we're mentoring, right? Because the whole idea is passing on the torch, right? We're, in, we're here temporary, and, and we should be as sisters with sisters, Titus 2, right? Brothers with brothers, you know. But but, it, and it's a great privilege to do that. And and so, Moses is taking the matter into his own hands. He's young in the faith, young in the Lord. He has great zeal, but not a lot of knowledge, right? Zeal without knowledge, the Bible talks about. So he looked this way and that, at least he was careful when he saw that Noah and he killed the Egyptian, hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, now the day after this one, behold, now it's two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? See, he sees that they're part of the family of God. They're the chosen nation. What are you doing? Hitting each other. I mean, the Egyptian hitting you is bad enough. You should be helping each other. He doesn't understand it. And look at their answer, verse 14. Ouch. (laughs) Rejection, right? Then he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Now Moses looked this way and that. Where were they hiding, right? They were hiding under a rock somewhere or behind a wall because he thought nobody saw him, but they did. Somebody did see him. And the word was already spreading but here he is he actually he is set apart by god as a prince and a judge and a ruler over them that will come in time these men will have to eat their words but see god's timing and being patient to wait on his timing in our own walk and our own calling in service, you know, sometimes we we get the call. Sometimes, and this, this is the Lord, this is part of the dynamic of the relationship with our Lord. Sometimes he gives us more information about the calling than we're ready to step into. That's happened with me, and it's happened probably with lots of us, right? And so we're, we, we're out of zeal and love for the Lord. We want to step right into it. But there's a time of preparation that needs to happen first. That's what was going to be shown here. But Moses is ready to launch off. And now Moses feared. Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter. He sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. And dwelt in the land of Midian. And sat down by a well. And you know how the story goes. Right? He's fled to Midian. Way down south of uh, Edom in the area of, current day, Saudi Arabia, way down in the Arabian Peninsula. And he figures, start a new life. Whatever that was, I must have misinterpreted. Being the deliverer for the Hebrew people there in Egypt, he saw their burdens. He had compassion on their burdens and wanted to help, but they rejected him. Right. Who are you? We're not submitting to you. Right. So it's interesting. He was content. You see that in verse 21. He was 40 years in Midian. He learned a new trade. Now, don't forget, we talked about it this morning. You know, he was he was in the palace. He probably, you know, had what is the word we used to say? Uh, the opposite of farmer's hands, right? I mean, the hands that, you know, were not because he, he everything had been done for him. And now he's learning the rugged life of a shepherd. But you know what? He's adjusting to it. Doesn't seem to be bitter. Doesn't seem to have caused a rift between him and God, as we'll see in chapter 3. And Ruel gives... Him, one of his daughters to wife, Zipporah, in verse 21, and Moses' content. He has a son there, and looked like he's going to spend the rest of his years there. And I think if God hadn't intervened with the burning bush, Moses would have stayed there, don't you? And would you fault him for that? I wouldn't, because I'd be the same way as him. I would say, hey... Lord, I mean, I tried. They said no, so we'll do something else, right? So that brings us to chapter 3, verse 1. And Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian, and he led, led the flock to the back of the desert there. And he came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Interesting that the Midianites labeled it that, and it was known as that. I and mean, this is what they, that's what they called Mount Horb. Now, Mount Horb is Mount Sinai, right? We'll find later. So here they are, here he is at Mount Sinai. And the angel of Jehovah appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now, follow the words here, because, my, it's just to me, just follow the text, right? So, you know, Hollywood goes off in this direction, and and some preachers in their illustrations want to go off and and read into the scripture that's not there. Not any preachers around here that I know, but but you know, intend they, they to just stay with the text, right? Because Moses wasn't drawn to the to the fire in the bush, according to the text. What was he drawn to? He was drawn to the fact that. He'd probably seen bushes, you know, lightning strikes out there in the acacia trees and they, and they get on fire. He'd probably seen it. He wasn't surprised by the fire. What he was drawn to was the fact that it wasn't consuming the bush. Different kind of fire, right? Anytime you see a fire, you put a fire in your fire. Well, you don't have fireplaces here, but, uh, over in Texas we do. And, uh, it consumes whatever is burning, right? you have a bonfire camp, it consumes everything, turns it to ash. But this one is not consuming it. That's what he's drawn to. So when the it says in verse 3, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So he's not drawn to the fire as much as he's drawn to the fact that it's not consuming the bush, right? And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look God called to him from the midst of the bush and said Moses Moses and he said I'm here and this is the calling of Moses not to faith and a relationship he already had that this is his calling to service right this is his assignment from the king of kings and it says, the Lord Jesus is the angel of the Lord here because of what happens with the statement made in the next verse, right? Holy ground. It's holy ground. God's there. Nothing special about the dirt. Nothing special about the location. The special part of it that made it holy was who was there, right? The presence of the Lord. So he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place Where you stand is holy ground. We could have sang that too. That would have been, we are standing on holy ground, right? Oh, there are angels all around. (laughs) You ever thought about that in your quiet time with the Lord? When you have that moment to get just quiet with the Lord and the scriptures, whatever time that is for you and your schedule. You realize you're in His presence. It's holy ground, isn't it? And uh, sometimes you'll, you may laugh at this, but then that's okay. But sometimes I act these things out to because it helps. You know, so I'll take my shoes off or take the sandals off my feet, just as a physical demonstration to help my brain remember. I mean, we one time, friend and I were praying over a very difficult matter in her life. She was single. I was single. And, uh, and we, we marched around the living room and like the walls of Jericho while we were praying, okay? It's alright to do that once in a while. I mean, you don't do that in a public meeting, but this is a living relationship we have here. This isn't just a dead ritual. We're just not gonna pray a ritual prayer and close it up and walk away, right? This is a relationship. And God loves that. Cause you see, God see, God saw him turn to him. And then he called. <laughs> so you see the interaction between Moses and the living God. And he wants to have an interaction with you and me like that. You believe that? He wants to interact with you and me like that. He ha- He hasn't changed. The same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Maybe you don't live anywhere near where there are bushes in the desert. Okay. And you don't have to have a burning bush. But he could do it. We had a burning sky tonight. I was thinking, standing out there in the parking lot, and I was singing a praise hymn to him and saying, Lord, maybe I need to change the message to a judgment message. Man, it looked like the sky was on fire, Malcolm. It looked like maybe we need to preach Armageddon tonight. But no, I didn't. (laughs) I had my phone here. I haven't got used to using it yet, Mal. But I do have one for all to see here. I finally got rid of the flip phone. But uh, that happened the same week I was moving from my house. All the big changes that were happening. But uh, but I have learned to use it. And it does take great pictures. I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look upon God. Would you be afraid to look upon God? Should we give that kind of reverence to him? I think we should. (laughs) We live in a society that gives no reverence to him. Not even an acknowledgement he exists. Let alone reverence. And the Lord said. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry. Because of their taskmasters. For I know. Their sorrows. We've been interceding in prayer for different individuals here in the assembly the last few weeks. Different ones and Mr. Panfield and others we've been thinking about. The Lord knows their sorrows. Isn't that beautiful about God? See the relationship side of that. Now I suggested to you this morning this is a Moses' response to this calling to me, is a little bit of a surprise. Maybe, I don't know if it's a surprise to you. Because now the timing is right for him to be the deliverer and he doesn't want to do it. (laughs) You ever been there? Been through a time where you got ahead of the Lord, you got rejected, you fell on your face, it, we used the word this morning, it was a setback, right? And we all have those. And, and if you're walking with the Lord, you're going to have more of them because it's a relationship, because we have uh, frailty within us. We can misinterpret signals from him. We have sometimes well-meaning Christians even may give us bad counsel. Well-meaning, not malicious, but well-meaning, but give us bad counsel. And and so there are all kinds... It, It's a warfare, right? It's a spiritual warfare. And so Moses five times tries to put the Lord off despite the fact the Lord has personally appeared to him in the burning bush. And Moses has acknowledged that and with reverence. So I'm a little surprised. But if I look at my own life and look at the lives of other Christians that I coach, life coaching kind of a situation, mentoring, I, I say, you know, I can relate to you, Moses. I can relate to you doing this. You give lots of examples of people that have this same kind of. And so I'm just going to spend the time, uh, for the sake of time, to look at the five, and you can go back and read through the chapter and see each of these. We're just going to look at his, the five responses, the negative responses, or the put off, the stiff arm. <laughs> responses and then you can read them and I encourage you to do that in their context okay I'm not diminishing the fact of all uh, but uh, for the sake of time so the first time he does it is down in verse 11 verse 10 the Lord says come now therefore I will send you but Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt (laughs) Who are you, Moses? You are a child of God, and this is your assignment from the Lord. That's who you are. And of course, Moses knew that intellectually, because we, we saw that in Hebrews 11, right? He'd come to that place in his thinking, but now, maybe because of the rejection, was still really, that was a painful thing. Maybe that was a night way down in him. And maybe a little bitterness about it too that he maybe hadn't fully come to terms with and hadn't judged. That's okay. God gives us time to do that. But we all have situations like this. And if you haven't had it, you will. (laughs) If you're going to live, if you live longer on the earth. You will. So this is, this is a good lesson for us, right? Plus we can help one another in this and this is part of the dynamic of the body of Christ and how we want to be there for one another. If we see a situation where maybe a brother or sister had an anticipation and somehow we found out about it, about say doing a particular Sunday school class, right? And they, they felt The Lord had called them. Prepared them for this. And they were excited about it. And then something happened. Where someone else was given that class. Well they get hurt. Now they probably won't say anything right away. And they may never say anything. But inside they might say. You know what. That's it with me. I'm not volunteering for anything more in the church. After that right. Don't tell me you haven't heard that from people. I talked to old brethren in. In Houston that are, they're with the Lord now, so I can refer to them, although I won't give their name, that were silent at the Lord's Supper for 40 years. And I used to go to lunch with them. They were World War II vets and had fascinating stories. They would open up with me and others they didn't. And I was thankful that they did. And I wanted, cause I cared about them. And they knew it. Why? Why? Did you know so much. And I can tell you have a heart for the Lord. And they were put down by an older brother when they were younger in a public meeting in a way that was totally inappropriate. And I would have told that brother so if I were there. But And so they just zipped it up and said, that's it for me. Well, that's one response. You're not going to lose your salvation if you respond that way. But it's not a mature response, right? It's not a response that's going to encourage your spiritual growth. In fact, it's going to hinder your growth. It's going to cause you to to go into regression, really, in your Christian life. So I love the tenderness here that God is displaying with Moses. Now, God's going to eventually get angry with him but he's tender with him and he is with you and me too as we sort these things through and and so the lord responds in verse 12 i will certainly be with you isn't that enough <laughs> but but so moses thinks of a second question down in verse 13 moses said to god indeed when i come now the wind is in italics so he's not saying he's going yet. <laughs> but when I come to the children of Israel. And say to them. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me. What is his name? What shall I say to him? Now that's a pretty clever thing to think about. But still he's stalling isn't he? Just go Moses. God will take care of that. He's with you. But now he's saying well. Supposing I go. Now This is why I think. Without reading into the story I think Moses is still hurting from that rejection who are you to be a prince and judge over us so he says if I come to them what's my authority here I say you sent me they're going to want to know who is he who sent you (laughs) need to know a name here now we're thankful for this because Exodus 314 is one of the great statements of God's name this is where Jehovah the name is first expanded upon. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, we call them, the, the Bible calls them the patriarchs, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all Generation. It's interesting, over in chapter 6, the Lord said uh, in verse 2, God spoke to Moses, I am Jehovah, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah, I was not known to them. Oh, that's interesting. We have that little fact given to us. So this is additional Self-revelation from God. I am who I am. In other words, I'm the self-existent one. I have no beginning and I have no ending. You believe that? Now, that's something we can't connect to because we're finite, right? We have a beginning and we're going to have an ending one way or the other, either the death or the rapture. But God isn't like that. And the so-called, I call them pseudo-scientists, I agree with Apostle Paul. They're pseudo-scientists, the so-called scientists of our world that have put God totally out of his universe. They, they say, well, how does, how can he have a beginning? You know, we've got the Big Bang and all of this stuff and now they've got a new electron thing that they're trying to promote and all that. How many light years do you want to add to the next? <laughs> when they start, anytime they go beyond ten light years, I know they're guessing because you can't, we can't even relate to one light year let alone ten of them, let alone a hundred billion or whatever they want to say. Yeah, keep adding more to them. It doesn't make any sense what you're saying. But the Lord says, I am the self-existent one. And he expands. There's a lot more there. But for the sake of time, the third opposition Moses gives is in chapter 4, verse 1. So Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Well they did reject him before, right? So what if they don't believe me, even though I bring your name? What if they don't? So the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? <laughs> a rod, shepherd's rod. And of course we, we know the story of the miracle. Becomes a snake and then becomes back, and returns to being a rod. The Lord shows his power. That's the third time. He's not done yet. The fourth time he opposes it is in chapter 4 in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, uh, some have thought that what he's saying is that he, he had a stammering kind of a thing or some sort of speech impediment. And maybe that was true, but I kind of think that was unlikely uh, given the training he had in Pharaoh's palace. I think they would have sent him to people to, to get that corrected. I mean, he was in line to be Pharaoh. That he wasn't going to have... I think what he's saying is in consideration of a confrontation because Moses knew that if he went there, he's going to have to confront Pharaoh. And nobody knew what Pharaoh was like better than Moses. He had the same training, right? Right there in the palace. And so when it came to a debate with Pharaoh over these things, that he wasn't eloquent. He didn't have the confidence to approach pharaoh and i can understand why given the fact that he had that failure when he killed the egyptian and then they rejected him and now he's been a shepherd for 40 years and he hasn't been in the court of pharaoh or any other court except the court of the sheep out in the wilderness but isn't it doesn't it look like moses is trying to think of excuses (laughs) adding one on top of another have you ever done that with god When you sense he wants you to do something for him and you begin, yeah, but, but suppose, yeah, but what if, but then what if. And we forget who God is, because like David said earlier, we get too focused on ourselves and forget who he is. And that was what Moses' problem was. Then the fifth one, the last one is in verse 13 given all the, how the Lord had answered him in every one of these situations, Moses finally says, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Now the else there is in italics, but the Hebrew lends towards it. In other words, if there's anyone else you can use, use them. Now I think Peter had come to this place we could make a good case for that in the New Testament after his failure, remember his threefold failure outside of Caiaphas's house, warming himself and so forth. And, they, and Peter thought, I don't think Peter doubted his salvation, but he thought, hey, my service for him is done. I was the leader of the apostles and he can't use me as an apostle now. I've, I've denied him three times. I'm done. I'm going fishing. And of course, seven others go with him or six others go with him, whatever it was. He's going back to his fishing business. He figures. But the Lord wasn't done with Peter, was he? You see how compassionate our Lord is? And we sometimes, when when we experience people that have had hardship or failure, we write them off, right? We're too quick to write them off. Because God doesn't write them off, we write them off. And sometimes we miss out on the blessing of their service and their usefulness because of that, right? Because God has a way of restoring, mending broken bones, right? Galatians 6, 1 and 2, right? He who is spiritual, let him restore the one who stumbled. Not just anybody. Don't just send anybody to that person's house that stumbled. Send someone who is spiritual, OK, because if you send somebody who's not spiritual, they they'll make the, the situation worse. They'll say the wrong thing. They'll come with the wrong attitude. And you want to say, well, what is how, what does spiritual look like? You, Paul, you didn't tell us not in six, one and two, but just a few verses earlier in five, 22 and 23. He gave a list of the ninefold fruit of the spirit. All you got to do is compare the person's character in life to that. Not 100% perfection in any one of those categories but a tendency toward that fruit, that's, that's the person that's spiritual and those are the ones you want to involved in restoring so here the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses <laughs> five times he put him off God had a plan for Moses and God's plan is going to happen God has a plan for you and me. And this is where his sovereignty comes in sometimes. He's going to effect it. He's going to make it happen. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to, to cooperate with him? <laughs> and just say, Lord, surrender. And say, Lord, Thy will be done. Like the Lord did in Gethsemane. I will be done. I, I, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying like I've got this figured out and you don't kind of a thing. I'm not talking down to anybody here because I've been in the same boat of, of making excuses when I shouldn't have been making excuses with God and reluctant to step forward with them and those kinds of things. But that's where we can help one another, you know. Uh, come alongside, pray, support, encourage, and not be so quick to throw away. God didn't throw him away. And boy, I'm, I'm glad when I'm given what happens with Moses. Because as we progress through the book of Exodus, the kind of person Moses grows to be is really astounding. It's really astounding. I mean, it, it's a measure that I look at it, it's still out there for me. I look at it, he's, he got way over there and maybe I'll get there. You know? Well, in his answer to him about the eloquency, I didn't read that, but remember he said, I'll send your brother Aaron, who will be your spokesperson. He said, you will go, Aaron will be like the prophet, and you'll be like God. When he came to Pharaoh, Moses would tell, in other words, God still effecting his plan, that Moses is the deliverer, because he's a type of Christ, right? Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, And Aaron would then be the one to begin to effect the miracle. But to me, you watch this, did you notice what happened through the plagues? It starts off, you remember, they go to Egypt and uh, and they have the encounter with Pharaoh and we'll we'll move on down to verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not hear you. Now God not heed you. God is predicting here. He's not making Pharaoh a robot because you're ignoring the rest of the story to say that. The rest of the story makes it clear that Pharaoh's magicians fooled him. And and Satan was deceiving him. And, and Pharaoh's own heart and pride is keeping him from surrendering to the living God. In Romans chapter 9, Paul and the Holy Spirit use this as a paradigm, an example for all time. I think that God gives the detail of this battle between himself, his will, and the will of this man, Pharaoh, a king, as a picture of God dealing with every individual human soul. Okay? God gives information, waits for a response. God gives information, waits for we call that revelation response motif. We see that all through the Bible, right? And we certainly see that in the issue of the ten plagues, because each of the plagues is a miracle. It's a demonstration of God's power and his existence and who he is. It's self-revelation, special revelation to Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh says, you know what? I'm not impressed. I'm more powerful than you or however what his thinking is. But he's opposing the living God. And people, we share the gospel with. Sometimes you can see it. If you're sharing the gospel with them and, and you see, you know, the reaction on their face... Or maybe things they say to you when you're sharing the gospel with them and, and that, you know, they just despise the living God who's responsible for their next breath. I mean, think of the logic of that. Think they would want to submit to someone who's taking care of them, providing food and raiment and their career and their education and all of those things. But no acknowledgement, no acknowledgement of creation and Him superintending all of creation all of that so we see a picture of it here and it's a fascinating study in itself but what I, one of the things I noticed that you know so Aaron does the rod you know demonstration of the rod and the magicians imitate it that's you know in verse eight and following of chapter 7 and then we have the first plague in verse 14 the water becomes blood and and we notice, a pattern here that's going to change. Remember what the Lord told in verse 1 of chapter 7. I have made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron your brother your spokesperson. Right? Follow with me. Verse 19 of chapter 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out and so forth. All right? So the Lord speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to Aaron. Right? Right? And then Aaron does the miracle. All right? He's given that privilege. And then we see again in verse 5 of chapter 8, the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and so forth. So Aaron stretched out his hand. So Aaron is participating in this, and he's probably liking it too, right? As he's the older brother by three years uh, to Moses. That was told to us in chapter 7, verse 7. And, and then we see it happen again in verse 16, chapter 8, that so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike, and they did so for Aaron, stretched out his hand and so forth. But then notice verse 20. You see, I love this, the dynamic of it. Moses is beginning to see the power of God at work. He's beginning to see the privilege of his calling by this powerful living God. And he's wanting now to participate. He wants to enter into his role. And so suddenly we see a shift. Verse 20, so the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and then say to him, thus says the Lord. And so, whoop, where's Aaron? Aaron. It was, say to Aaron, say to Aaron, say to Aaron, and so the the Lord is is wooing, if we can say that, He's wooing Moses. He's giving him time. He he was a little angry with the fact that Moses kept putting him off, but but he allowed that to happen. He's giving him time, and so he the Lord said, "Okay, you got to have Aaron to do it for you. I'll let Aaron do it." And Moses began to think, "Well, wow, I'm missing out here." I don't need Aaron, I don't need an intermediary between me and God. I like this, serving God and being a demonstration of his power. And so Moses begins to enter into it himself. And we never see that say to Aaron again. By the time we get down to chapter nine, in verse seven, Pharaoh sent, indeed, he not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, he did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves, this is verse 8, chapter 9. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the... He-. What? So Moses and Aaron are both to get ashes, but only Moses is to scatter it. You see what's happening here? There's a shift happening. Now, I think it'll be a little bit of a problem... A little bit down the road when you get to chapter 32 with the golden calf incident where Aaron makes a huge mistake, right? And we see why Aaron wasn't prepared at all to be in the position he was in. Moses was called for that position. God was in control here. He knew what was He knew how he made Moses. He knew at Moses training and he wanted to use Moses training. Just like he wants to use yours. And and we we put him off maybe and say, "No, Lord, I can't do that. You know, let somebody else do it." And we think we're it's really a false humility sometimes, right? We we're pretty good about putting on a false humility. It's really reluctance to serve. It's it's, it's reluctance to participate in what God's called us to be and to do, right? But here Moses is beginning. And and so they took ashes, verse 10, from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses scattered them toward heaven and caused the boils and so forth. And from here on, the seventh plague, the eighth plague, the ninth plague, the tenth plague. Moses is in the forefront exactly where God called him. So God was patient. But God got his way. <laughs> didn't he? Moses was reluctant. But Moses began to recognize. How glorious God is. And now he began to. That's why I use the title enamored with God. He became more enamored with God. It's a process, right? We're growing in it day by day, hopefully. And he began to realize Jehovah is really awesome and he's called me to represent him and to be his spokesperson and I put that away Lord can I change my mind (laughs) I'll take the role I'll move into it and God graciously lets him isn't that neat isn't that great about God so even when we have a setback and don't forget, remember, a lot of years, <laughs> four decades transpired between these incidents when he failed because he got ahead of God's will and God had to work in him patiently. But God wasn't through with him. And God still uses him in a mighty way. But, but this isn't even the end of the story. Wait till... You see what happens on Wednesday night when we get to the Red Sea. I mean, Moses' participation there. Remember, Paul says they were baptized into Moses' faith at the Red Sea. They didn't believe God. He did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so Moses begins to move into the place of leadership. That God always intended for him to have. And you and I. Will never be content. We will never be satisfied on this earth. We will never feel fulfilled in our life. Unless we're in the middle of God's will for us. Amen. Not my, my God's will for you because your, His will for you is different for, I'm not going to be satisfied if I'm trying to do what you're doing or trying to compete with you or her or whatever, you know, say, well I want His gift, I want her gift, I want, no, no. My calling, my area of service, it's personal, right? And that come, you say, well how do I know, how do I find that out? You find it out by, first of all, serving and in, in doing the things, and the and the Lord will guide, spending time with, in the word, learning about the Lord himself, listening to your fellow brethren that recognize certain abilities in the spiritual realm and and try to channel you in that direction. And certainly, God uses shepherds and elders to help with that in an amazing way. But we have to get to know each other in order for that to happen, and we have to get to know the living God. Well, Moses is growing in his appreciation, in his value of the Lord. He's a great example. The Lord wasn't through with him. And he's not through with you either, or me. Praise God, right? And so, Father, as we close out this evening and think about these areas of difficulty for the life of Moses... And how you enable him in your kindness, and your grace, in your compassion to work through these things. May that be true of each of us. None of us knows what's ahead for us. But we all know, I think we can all agree together tonight, that we will not be satisfied and content in our life until we're serving in the capacity that you created us to be and to do. And we want that for everyone In this assembly. So Lord be with us as we drive home in part. And we thank you for another. Precious time together. And precious Lord's Day. A precious remembrance. A good time to visit in the afternoon Lord. And give us a good night of rest. As we begin a new day tomorrow. As we give you thanks now. In the Lord Jesus name. Amen.